Alright, good afternoon everyone. This is uh, War Room to the Boardroom podcast. In this episode, we have uh, Mr. Devin T. Adams. We're going to talk about print and transition. I'm your host as always, Mayshawn Wilson. I'm Global Business and Operations, go-to-market ads policy at Google, combat veteran, Duke MBA and West Pointer. Today, my guest is Devin. Don't forget the T. Adams. He and I will be discussing preparing to transition, transitioning to entrepreneurship, and uh, corporate law. So Devin is an associate attorney at a big law firm in New York. Uh, he spent time as an Airborne Ranger Qualified Artillery Officer and uh, the 173rd Airborne West Point Southeast Outreach Officer. And he's a graduate of West Point and Vanderbilt Law School. So I'm further delaying Mr. Devin T. Adams. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. Always excited to, to talk to people who are transitioning out of service and figuring out what their next steps are going to be. Hopefully, you'll find this helpful. Definitely. It's uh, it's hard to leave. It's been almost, what, 15 years that we've known each other? Yeah, it's been a long time. Mayshine used to help me with my homework all the time, so I'm forever thankful. That's really why I'm on the podcast is for all the uh, economics assignments that my boy hooked me up with uh, back in the day. So uh, instrumental part of my success as well. Um, so for those of us, that, the people that don't know our listeners, can you tell them about who you are, You know how you came to the military, and uh, kind of your path? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Like many military folks, my family came from a kind of a long line of military folks. Both my parents served like one enlistment. Both my grandfathers were career military. So growing up, um, you know, we didn't have a lot, but my mom was just always like, hey, you know, I homeschooled when I was younger. So that's a really big part of my story. And yeah, I, when I was younger, my mom sat me down in like eighth grade and was like, Hey, I think you're a smart kid, but we don't have any money to send you to college. So you need to get a scholarship. And I took that to heart. Like my mom's super cool. She never told me anything that was like not beneficial for my life. So I was like, okay. Um, and that day I actually went to the library and, um, found prison reviews, best 361 colleges. That's the first time I'd ever like seen or heard about the Air Force Academy or the uh, West Point or any of those. And yeah, I like saw them. They were on a lot of good lists and a lot of like the top lists. And so I, I got into that and I started reading about them. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like you get paid. They pay you like this is amazing. So in, in my eighth grade mind, I thought, man, like you get paid to go to school and they pay you and they give you a job afterwards. So from there, I just was like, I don't think that, you know, there's a much better deal out there for me. And so I really turned my focus uh, at that young age on like, okay, well, like, how do I make sure that I am a candidate that is eligible and and good for these institutions? And that's kind of how I came into the military uh, through that lens. I was originally an Air Force Academy kid, super obsessed. And I went to West Point for the first time during the Summer Leader Seminar where I met uh, a whole gang of my uh, best friends now. And that really taught me at a young age, like how important people are. I wanted to be a pilot more than anything. I like dreamed about being a fighter pilot all the time. And I abandoned that dream to go to a school, to be around people who I felt like were going to be motivators for me and people who were going to continuously raise the bar or keep the bar at a level that I felt like I wanted to keep myself at. And so, yeah, so that's how I ended up at West Point. I think that ended up being a really good deal for myself. I still am friends with all those people. And yeah, they continue to push the bar on what we do on a regular basis and really provide kind of that um, mirror to the left and right uh, of like, man, maybe I should be doing some more. 
Uh, and so that's been really great. So that's, that's pretty much my story in a, in a nutshell of kind of the origin story of how we got to the military. It's, uh, it's great to see it come full circle, like going to class with you and, and Anthony and Steph and Rob and all those guys. I was like, man, I think I'll be an Intel officer. You're like, nah, you want to get after it. And I was like, I, yeah. I guess I want to get after it. I guess that's true. Yeah, I think it, I think it, it helps because it puts you in a different mindset, right? When you, you know, beforehand, I just wanted to do whatever I thought was cool. I came into a different, um, or I wanted to do something that I thought was going to push me to the limits that I had then. I think at a very young age, I realized that, you know, I was only as good as the stuff that I had done. And I had done a lot of good stuff for myself and challenged myself to be in hard classes or to hard schools or to like go after hard things. And I think that that's a lifelong practice. Um, and it's important for you to put people around you who are practicing that same practice. If somebody is just like, oh, you know, this is fine. And it's not, it's fine to to be content. I'm not trying to say don't be content. I'm just saying, though, this is a different lifestyle to push, though. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like, it's a different lifestyle. The push is a different, it's a different thing. You know what I mean? So it's not for everyone, but certainly uh, it is a practice, a learned practice is what I'll say. I think good, good point. So that it's always going to be a grind of some kind, you know, no matter what you wear, suit, uniform, or the like. Um, can you tell us where, where you are now? So, you know, we talked about you being a corporate attorney, but, you know, you also run a, a beverage, you know, manufacturing distribution company, uh, always yeah. a professional hustler, Devin T. <laughs> tell yeah, us. So, He's you know, to. first of all, the since this is kind of veteran leaning, what, what I always tell people is this. From the time I was 18 years old, I was working from 0, 0530 until task complete. Right. So sometimes, you know, you're in Afghanistan or you're out in the field, you know, you're there like all day, every day. You go to sleep next to your coworkers, you wake up next to your coworkers, you go to sleep with the mission on your mind, you wake up with the mission on your mind. So coming from that perspective, uh, as I was transitioning, the last assignment that I had in the military was actually I worked at West Point in the admissions officer. The first year I worked in diversity admissions uh, down in the Southeast, which was an amazing blessing. I'm a huge West Point advocate. Um, and so it was really a great opportunity for me to be able to do a job that really helped me make my decision as well. And then I transitioned from there and worked uh, in New York City admissions overall, and just like in the five boroughs and working through the congressional admissions there. So I was in New York City when I got out of the military in 2018. And the first thing about it is that for me personally, I really enjoyed the military. But by the time I got to 28 or 29, I was having a bit of a difficulty with kind of like my adulthood and the military kind of, I don't know, intersection, right? I started this whole thing when I was 18. And so very much like the military is like your second parent when you're coming into that. We went to West Point, right? It's very like mothering and nurturing, like, hey, do this, do the right thing, do that. The military as an officer, then I learned about taking care of other soldiers and like they're kind of in this whole ecosystem. But by the time I was 28 or 29, I was like, hey man, I think I'm a grown up. And I felt like, my time was up for what I felt like I could learn from the military or like what I, like I was willing to, to, to do to learn. So my big thing was I really wanted to find more of a sense of my own confidence as a person. And I was a little bit tired of people like thinking about me through the lens of the military, right? Like, like, Oh, like, yeah, like you're a ranger or whatever, or like, why would you get out? Or all these things. And 
I was really feeling this kind of pull, this tug about the identity of it all. And I was really kind of ready to hang up the identity of Captain Adams, the officer, and like get to being like Devin T. And in order to do that, I personally took a year off, right? So I got out of the military in August 2018. And that's when I started my first business, which is called Being Beings. I was broke, super duper broke. And I want to make this point real quick. I know a lot of people, and this is this is not my advice, but this is just an idea of, of, of where it was for me. My thing was, I am sure through all of my life experiences that like I will not quit on doing whatever it is that, that I'm going to do. I felt Ranger School multiple times. I did like a whole saga to do that. Like West Point was a saga. So I was very confident in my ability to be at rock bottom and build up from there. So intentionally, as I got out of the military, like I really had kind of, um, I don't want to say a bad attitude. I had a very kind of like adversarial relationship as I was getting out though. So I was like, I don't even really want this money. Like, I don't even want the money. I don't want any of it. I just want to like be free of it. I just want to like be done. And I want to start over. So I took like my last check. I think I sold all my leave and stuff. I got out of the military. I had about $10,000 to my name. That's all I had. Like I wasn't very good with my money when I was in the military or any of that. Cause it all felt like allowance money to me. Cause I don't know. These are like my parents. Right. So I was like, all right, I'm getting out. So I got out and I took that money and I invested in um, building out an, an Airbnb business uh, here in the city. And that was really good. But in that business, I made a lot of money, but I wasn't very sophisticated as far as the business, right? So I, I was making money, but I wasn't running a business from my perspective. And so part of that reason is why I went to law school, because I felt that I understood how to make money from my studies at West Point, economics, and all this other stuff. But I didn't know about running a business or fundraising or some of these more sophisticated business tasks that were going to be necessary for me to run the type of businesses that I wanted to run in the future. So I ran that business for about a year. It was really great. I cleaned toilets. I was super broke. And yeah, but I was super free. And it was really a, a freeing experience for me to be in control of my own destiny. And even if I'm not making that much money, like I still felt good about doing that rather than running off to like another corporation uh, situation. But in the interim, I, I ended up go going to Accenture to be a, a consultant. Uh, around April. So like I got out in August and then I started working at Accenture in April. So about eight months, I was just like kind of out doing the, the Airbnb situation. But right as that started to take off, I got the other job. So it was perfect, right? Because I made enough money from my Accenture job where I didn't even have to touch the money that I was paying myself for the Airbnb business. And so that was just like profit stacking up right into high season. So um, I went to law school. I worked at Airbnb corporate for about a year as a legal intern. That was my first internship in law school. Um, I was coming out of the short-term rental kind of area. And so I focused my legal studies on highly regulated areas for business. So like alcohol, cannabis, short-term rentals. And so I spent a lot of time doing that stuff. And then the laws and regulations changed in New York City about Airbnb. And so I, right before this happened, I shut down all of my apartments except for one. And then like two months later, the pandemic happened uh, and everything shut down. So I was very fortunate to not have a lot of liability in that. So I moved from Nashville back into my apartment in New York City and yeah, hung out there for the pandemic. And that's where I got the birth of inspiration for Warbevco, the company I'm working on now. Um, and I, I invested in a brewery with one of my classmates, 2011 classmates. Um, 
him and his wife have a brewery in Atlanta, invested with them, and really spent that time to look over their shoulder to get a better understanding of the alcohol industry at large. And I guess I'll like pause right there because I think that's like a couple minutes worth of explanation. But from the brewery investment, I made a company called Warbevco, which is stands for What's a Roadblock Beverage Company. And one of the reasons why I called it that is because I was in my garage one day and I was like, man, like, I want to open a brewery. Like, I wish I had my own alcohol brand, you know, but who's going to invest in my company and, you know, some racial stuff and some other stuff about like, oh, no one's going to invest. There's not diversity, all this stuff. And I literally told myself like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, I had to have like a a literal like out-of-body experience to be like, Devin, what are you talking about? Like you've done so much stuff um, to prepare yourself to both have the career and then the resume that people will invest in. And also you've done a lot of work to like know that you're not going to quit. So like, let's just make the plan and let's go from there. So that's why Road to Roadblock is so important to me because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are out there. They want to have a business or they're thinking about this thing, but then all of a sudden they come up with the 800 roadblocks for why they're not doing it, right? Well, there's too much competition. Or like, I'm not going to get the money. Or like, I don't have a passion. And I don't have a... Like, listen, man. No, 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 no. It starts with just going ahead and like, you know, putting down the first plank, as I call it, building the bridge, putting down the first plank. What's the most readily available thing that you can do to make your dreams come true? Um, and so that's how we got started. And so, you know, we're down the road a little bit. We have some brands coming to market and we can get to that more, but that's how I got here. No, it's a very different path, right? To leave the army and like leave the security and embrace the uncertainty and the, the discovery process. If someone were to follow your footsteps, do you feel like that that part of the journey, right? Like, hey, I don't necessarily know what's next. I just know like, hey, I need to do some soul searching. Is that like the path that you're right? Yeah, I think... I think personally, my personal advice is that it all depends on where you are in your thought process about what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go, right? For me, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. What I wanted to do as far as my first business, I didn't necessarily have. So I wanted to give myself some time to to give myself the space to like, even just kind of decompress, right? Just decompressing from having a job where you gotta, you gotta be there on time. You gotta be there. Like you can't miss formation. Like you can't miss movement. Like, right. That's a lot of pressure to always, like, I gotta be there. I gotta be there. And so I I really wanted to give myself more space to like be the person who created that own urgency in my life. Right. So I took that, that year, that gap year almost to deprogram myself from some of the military stuff and reprogram myself and prove to myself that it wasn't the organization of why I had discipline, but it was an organization that gave me the opportunities to learn discipline, right? It's not the military that was getting me up in the morning. It was that after a while I learned like, bro, you got to go to work. So like, get up, right? It doesn't matter what you did. But when I was 19, of course, it's like, oh, I don't feel like going and all this other stuff. But by the time I was 29, like, I was like, bro, I'm a grown up, like, right? Like, so I'm doing this stuff with intention. And so the discipline uh, I wanted to prove to myself that the discipline didn't have to do with the environment. The discipline was inside of me that I had learned this skill, right? And I wanted to apply it without having, again, the pressure of like, I work for Google, I work for whatever. And like, that's why I get up. No, dude, I get up and clean toilets because this business is mine. 
because like it is my responsibility. I created it. Like, you know what I mean? So there was such a sense of uh, kind of like, I really use that year to believe in myself. And I, I suggest that to anybody who's dealing with that idea of it all, right? Like if you're really just needing to, you're feeling like the experience of the military is kind of over, like overcrowded, like yourself and you're kind of losing that sense, like sense of identity. I don't think that it's helpful to trade your captain identity for your Amazon identity. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, like, who are you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, even I talk to young officers all the time, like, they teach us in the, in the military, like, I am an officer, right? And you are an officer, but it's an identity thing. It's an identity thing. I am a, I am a ranger. I am a captain. I am an infantry officer, right? And in order to replace that kind of identity thing, you have to give yourself the space to, like, unravel that. But if you're going from this identity to the next identity, there's nothing wrong with that, but it just want to make sure that you have your self-identity and that you're giving yourself enough space to understand who you are, what you want outside of these parameters of the idea that if you don't get this $100,000 paycheck that you're going to turn into a pumpkin, like you're not going to. I definitely was making like minimal money. And I and honestly, I didn't even do my VA until after I started working at Accenture for the exact same reason. I was like, hey, they're going to back pay me. But like, I literally want to just do this by myself. Like, I don't think it's going to be that bad to like be broke. And it wasn't, it was fine. Right. Like, because I figured it out, you're going to figure it out. And that gave me a lot, a lot of confidence going into these later stages of my civilian life that I gave myself the, the ability to breathe without believing that I had to get my check from somewhere else. So that's what I would say. So I don't, I suggest it. I don't like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like I, I think there's a space for it. It may not be for everyone, but I think if you're thinking about it, you should do it. You should go do it. Like, don't think about it. Just do it. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Like, no, the grad schools are going to take you. The jobs are going to take you. Like, all this myth about, like, having the gap. You're Like, bro, like, no. If you want to go to Jamaica or you want to travel around South America when you get out of the military and, like, give yourself some space, give yourself some space. And, like, just do that. And, like, it's not going to be the end of the world. I've never seen anybody take a year off and it like be a detriment to their life ever. I've never seen it. So that's my advice is like, if you're feeling that way, you should do it. So taking that time really soul searching and then also not, not giving into that fear that like, I got to make this move or I got to follow the herd and do this. Can you talk about switching from the clear path that is the military to this journey that you're on now where there aren't necessarily like date, dates and hit lines and promotions. It's more about whatever direction or path you choose. So can you talk about how do you navigate that sure. whether that's in big law or in this entrepreneurial venture? Vin, uh, venture um, what does that look like? So I think that one of the number one things or the three things that I carry from the military that helped me the most in my civilian life I touched on one, which is discipline. Discipline meaning you do, you say, right? Or as I tell people, like, I say I do. That's that's what makes Devin a disciplined person. I say and I do. That's it, right? That's all that you need for discipline is to say that you're going to do something and then do the thing that you need to do. So that's one. The second thing that I learned from the military was about strategic planning, right? To understand that, like, hey, man, 
you can do whatever with a plan. You just got to like think about it. You have to write down your assumptions. You have to like assume and always remember that the enemy has a vote. So, you know, for me, when we talk about like having a clear defined path in the military, sure. But I don't really, I, I, I don't really think that's true though, right? Because it depends on what you want to do. So for example, my career in the military was I wanted to be an airborne ranger for as long as, because I was going to go to the Air Force. But when I got to the Army, we went to West Point. All I ever heard them sing about was Airborne Rangers. So that's it. That's that was the thing for me. I don't. I didn't have any other context except for this. Must be pretty tight because I just got here, and every single morning, all I hear is I want to be an Airborne Ranger. I said, "Well, I guess me too, right?" If that's what we're aspiring to be, then that's what I want to be, right? And I used to think the same thing about a general. Like I want to be a general because I'm like, I guess this is. If that's what the creme de la creme over here is, and that's what we're shooting for, because I want to be in the creme de la creme, this is what they're saying. So I assess that and look at it. But the truth about it is you could be a tanker. You can go through the armor divisions. That's a whole path. Like you can go through the Bradley divisions. That's a whole path. Like there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I wanted to be an airborne ranger. though. So I picked the things. So I defined my own outcome. Like I had, this is the things I want to do. And I went out and like made my career and my grades and everything align with those things. So in the real world or in the civilian world, I should say outside of a system, I think the same thing is true. You define your outcomes. Like, what are you trying to be out here? For me, I'm really into uh, like philanthropy. I like to build a school like later in my life. So that philanthropy goal, like was the defined outcome for me was like, okay, well, like, I feel like I'm going to like build a school and do all this other stuff. I feel like in order to do that, I need like $300 million. So I was like, okay, where do I get $300 million? How, how am I going to, how am I going to get $300 million? Well, I started looking around. I'm like, I don't know anybody that's working on these jobs that's making $300 million. You know, I don't see them making that. I looked, you know, I looked at all the top Forbes, everything, everything, politicians. I'm like, these people are not making the type of money that I'm talking about. Well, who is taking the type of money I'm talking about? People who own these type of businesses that are in these sectors and these things. So in the same way that it was like, hey, I want to be an Airborne Ranger because this is like this way and all the associated tasks that are involved with that, the same thing here. My defined outcome was like, okay, I want to be a philanthropist. In order to be a philanthropist, I feel like I need $300 million net worth. How am I going to get my $300 million? So that's like, that's where I started was like, okay, well, how do we get there? So I went to law school and a bunch of other stuff to sit down and think hard about how do we get to $300 million, right? And some people think that's crazy, but I don't think it's crazy because like we're on the road, right? And underneath that, my lower goal was like, okay, I need to get to $30,000 a month net. If I get $30,000 a month net, that's like a good like threshold. So how do we start doing that? We got the VA disability, we got like, a law job, we got like this money, we got investment over here. And so I'm making the decisions that are going to allow me to make that defined outcome the truth. But if I'm just out here, like I'm trying to make as much money as I can, I'm just trying to get the best job I can, like, where are we going? Where are we, where are we going? Like, what are we, to, for what? When are you going to know that like you're where you're at? Right. So my advice to people is always to define that outcome. And then every day we have an opportunity to build a bridge from where we are to where we're trying to go. 
And each day, all that's required of us is to do today's work, right? There's a plank every day in your bridge that you can put down that's going to take you there. So for example, like I said, the $30,000 goal is like, okay, that is planks on the bridge to the 300 million, right? Because then I have the money to like pay for this or invest in that or invest in my friends or invest in the real estate or invest in land or like whatever, because I have the money to do those things. But $300 million sounds like a lot. So we squeeze it down, like let's bring it way down. So like, what's the most readily attainable goal in this life? And what are the things that are going to be required for me to do it? So I'll say all that to say is I think that you can make the same kind of certainty for your system in the same way that it felt like in the military, there was like this certainty, but there's the same certainty if you just know where you're trying to go. Like, right, if you're trying to be a colonel, like we we all know you got to have a company command, like you need to do, you got to have an extra degree, like you're going to have to like go be a tech or like do some broadening assignment, like you're going to have to be a major, you're going to have to be an S3, you're going to have to be an XO, you're going to have to be a battalion, like we know the steps and all we're doing is just committing our life and daily actions to the steps that are going to take us there. I think you can do the same career plan for yourself in the civilian world, but you have to define your outcomes and not be afraid to like make that a big ask, right? Because if you make it a big ask, then you, you've made a whole ecosystem for yourself that's like the army, right? Getting a colonel is hard. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of stuff you got to do. I mean, getting wealthy is also the same deal, but it's the same thing. If that's what your thing is, if you've got like your, your number on your, like when I was younger, where do I have some shit? Let me see. When I was younger, <clears throat> I used to have one of these. Like I used to carry a Rainers, like a subdued Rainers tab in my uh, pocket right here over my heart until I had it for years, for like too many years. I don't even, I can't even like, I'm embarrassed to say too many years. Right. But whenever I was cold or whenever I was hungry, I used to like, look at this and I used to be like, man, this is what it takes. This is what it takes. So like, we're doing the things that it takes and one day it'll be ours. And then. One day it was mine and, you know, through a bunch of drama then too, right? I broke my ankle in ranger school in, in, in mountain phase, but at the end of the day, like, you got to, like, keep it going. So I think the, the best advice I can give is to not be afraid to define an outcome, right? And then the next steps are to have the desire and the willingness, the desire for this divine outcome to be true and the willingness to do whatever you need to do every day to make that outcome be true. So that's what I think. Um, all, all great points, you know, focused on the discipline, focused on like clear outcomes and kind of defining those for yourself rather than letting the system or the herd define it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And so when you talk about like how you got here, you mentioned your unique path, your time to kind of really think about it and decompress. Were there any things that you used to really get there? Was it a matter of like mentors, good friends kind of probing and asking questions? Was it like, hey, I'm in an SEO program or, you know, Bass Scholars? Like what helps you kind of navigate this path from, you know, soul searching, you know, time off to consulting to, you know, entrepreneurship to now, okay, I need to be an attorney. That's the gap that I need to fill. Yeah, I always ask myself this. Whenever I'm defining my outcomes, right, I, I start there, define the outcome. Like you'll say, I'll say it a million times through this, but... It's so important to be crystal clear about where you're trying to go, right? Because if we don't know where we're going, then that's the problem. We don't know where we're going, then we're just walking down a road and we have no idea where we're going. It's easy to abandon that road because you're like, I don't even know if it's worth it, blah, 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 blah. 
So for me, I define that outcome. And then from there, I make my intentions clear. Once, once I've had my outcome, I make my intentions clear to anybody who'll listen. Right. So when I was going into law school, my number one thing was like, I want to work at Airbnb. That's like my first, my first internship between my first year of law school, my second year of law school. I want to work at Airbnb corporate. I was coming out of that world as a big regulatory situation. Right. So when I decided to go to Vanderbilt at my Vanderbilt admitted students dinner, like March before I even started law school, I met one of my good friends, Scotty Mann. He's like our alumni director person. He's like, yo, Devin, so what, what do I got to do to get you to van? Right. That's what he asked me. Like, what do I do to get you to van? I was like, man, I want to go work at Airbnb corporate. That's what I want to do my first year, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, dude, like the deputy general counsel at Airbnb is a Vandy alum. Like, easy. I'll set you up with an email like next week. What else do you need? <laughs> so then I was like, well, man, like there's still some scholarship money that's kind of on the table. I've got like a 75% scholarship, but like this other school is giving me all school free. And like, if y'all could like help me with the 25%, then I'm a Vandy guy. He was like, 25%, got it. Next, right? Next week, got the email to hooking me up with the, the you know, deputy general counsel from Vandy. The next week, I got the 25%, like, you know, scholarship situation that Vandy came through for me, right? All because I said, a lot of people be scared to say this. I don't really know why. I was like, you're asking me a question. I'm gonna give you a direct answer. Like, what I want is more money for school <laughs> and like the opportunities that I want. And they were like, Opportunity, money. And I was like, amazing. So I, I, I packed up all my stuff and went to Vandy. And Vandy was not my like top choice, to be honest. But in the end, it was a school that was very much right for me and, and provided for me the things that I needed. So when you define that outcome, it's important to just be clear about what you're trying to do, right? Because like people, people love clarity is what I found. People love clarity. And they respect people who are like, this is what I'm doing. Everywhere I go, I just tell people, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm not trying to do anything. This is, like, what I am doing. I am taking my entire life force and time and going towards this objective. There's no, like, wishy-washiness about it. There's no, like, that's just where we're going. And I think that a lot of people really respect that. And I think that's one of the great things about being a veteran is that we have so much experience in simply doing that. Right? Like, hey, I'm doing this. And then you do it or you don't do it. Right? And that's it. And so I think that with that, you know, you define that outcome and you're able to be clear with people. Then I think so many people help me along the road, right? Everybody I told what I was trying to do with such clarity, people were like, oh, I know somebody who does this, or like, I know somebody who's over here, or like, being like, boom, money, like all types of things came. And the same thing is true for the entrepreneurial situation and the, and the law. And I guess I'll talk about the law for a second and where that, like, where that place is in my ecosystem. As a young entrepreneur, one of the hardest things about it is that there's just all these question marks in your mind about the world that you have because you don't know what's going on, right? You've never done this before. You don't know what to do. And so every day I try to just understand there's a bunch of questions I don't know. And I just try to uncover, like to turn those question marks into something. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, like right now, I, I need to hire a new CMO because I know our strategy for the Mescal brand of what we're going to do. But some of these deeper marketing things, I just don't know. I don't know it. So I've got to go find somebody who knows the answers, right? It's like, we're not going to lose because I don't know. Because 
it's not my job to know everything. It's just my job to make sure that we get the answers that we need for the company. So that takes the humility of me going out and asking people, looking at people, scheduling talks and, hey, do you know anybody who you think would be good for this role? These are the type of problems that we're dealing with. This is the type of thing that we're doing. This is like what the company believes in. Do you know anybody who would be interested? I have like five of those meetings a day. You know anybody in the industry? They're like, oh, I know this friend, blah, blah, blah. Then I take the call to the person. Hey, do you know anything? Blah, blah, do I like, you know? So I think that defining my outcome, being very clear to with everyone who is around me about what I'm trying to do and where I'm trying to go is the most beneficial thing. Because that openness allowed people to pour into me with the, with the information, the things that they had, right? They're like, well, I don't know, but like, boom, my network for you. Boom, my network for you. Like, right? Because like, you know what you're doing and I feel comfortable putting you in front of somebody to like, you know what I mean? To do the, to do the dialogue that you need to take you forward. So I felt like that was really helpful. And I feel like, um, yeah, those are the things. I mean, everybody helped so much. I mean, my professors helped a ton when I was at, at Vanderbilt. I was building out this business while I was there. So a lot of times I would just go to my professors and be like, hey, I just wrote this whole thing. Can you take a look at this and like tell me if it's right? Or like, they'd be like, sure. Send it to you next week. So a lot of my first fundraising documents and stuff were all done in, in law school because that's what I was studying. It was like how to be a corporate attorney that does fundraising documents and all that. And I think at the beginning I said like, yeah, my first business, I made money, but I wasn't running a very sophisticated business. So I went to law school to understand how to be more sophisticated, right? How do we set up the LLCs or the C-Corps or like, if I have subsidiaries, how do I tie them together? Like, how do we raise money? How do we, you know, what about non-disclosure agreements and like non-competition agreements and all of these associated sophisticated documents? And I felt like that gave me more, like I, business school is amazing. And there's a lot of stuff that you learn over there. For me though, I didn't feel like that was the stuff that I was really going to be worried about or dealing with, right? Like I know like my finance stuff, like good, but I just hire someone else to do the finances. And ultimately I hire a lawyer to do a lot of my legal work now, but the legal thinking is what helps me as a CEO because I know the rules and the parameters of what we're doing. And so I make the decisions based on having a good concept of the battlefield. So for example, I always say like this, the field artillery officer or the FSO is to the infantry commander as the lawyer is to the business person, right? The business person who's the front line, they have all of this ecosystem that's going on and they need a specialist to help them with this one thing. FSO, I need to blow up this building. Come over here and tell me, like, what are all the problems? Like, what can I use? Like, what's the collateral damage estimation? Like, what's the problem, right? So that I can do my job the best. A lawyer does the same thing. You got a business person who's like, hey, I'm about to make a decision, but I want to know about my collateral damage estimation and what are the weapons that I can use to protect myself from this thing, right? So they call the lawyer. Lawyer comes in. They say like, hey, we can do it like this. We can do it like that. We don't want to do it like this. And so I tried to think about that a lot as I do my job of like, of course, the FSO still needs to know how to run, you know, shoot, move and communicate, but that's not your main thing. Your main thing is understanding the battlefield and how to, to properly, you know, marry the fires in there. And that's how the legal job helps me do my entrepreneur job because I'm a commander and I'm an FSO. So I don't even have to necessarily ask the FSO. 
I can do some of this calculation because I went to school for it. I'm like, yeah, we can't blow up that building like that because the people who are over there, you know, I might have to ask the FSO for something really specific or to call it in. But when I'm making my plan, I have that understanding of the problem set as well. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's my answer. (laughs) Yeah, so programs in a different way. So more leveraging your graduate school, you know, experience, you know, leveraging other people in the space and really leveraging professors. Because I mean, I think a lot of students often overlook that their professors are like paid consultants for some of these top industries and employers. And like, this is what they do to make money outside of research. Yeah. And that defined outcome allowed me like always to be thinking about like the problem set that that I had at the moment. So I'm in corporate bankruptcy and I'm like, okay, so I'm fundraising, but if we run out of money, like it's not the end of the world. Like, right. I just looked, I just took corporate bankruptcy. And I know now that if we run out of money, there is in fact a recourse that is between the moment that we have no money and the moment that we have to go out of business, right? There's a whole like set of things that I can do in between that to save my business. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people don't use bankruptcy because they don't know about bankruptcy because they don't understand. They think it's like a scarlet letter, blah, blah, blah. But in law school, I took those classes to understand, to better understand these concepts. So bank, you know, corporate bankruptcy, securities regulation to make sure I'm not raising securities and like, you know, getting in trouble for that type of stuff. So I think all of that is really good. And I think what I was going to say earlier was that I tell everybody, look, if you're about to go to grad school, you need to write down on a piece of paper, like, hey, let's say you want to be an entrepreneur. I want to open a soap business. doesn't even matter what, right? You need to write down what are the things about your soap business that you that you can't do right now? Like, why can't you open this business right now, right? And if you write down those, like, so for me, it was like, I don't know about fundraising. I don't know about, you know, uh, liability. I don't know about bankruptcy, right? So I went in with this kind of laundry list of things that I knew that like, man, I don't really know how this works. And all throughout my whole time, I just whittled down the list. Hey, um, excuse me, professor such and such, like, I'm thinking about like, I read the book about this and I'm like, da, 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 da. like can you help me with this? They're like, sure, this is how you should be thinking about this. This is how you should look at it. Okay, cool, boom. So I had probably a list of like 50 things like I don't know how to do. And so the whole time I was in law school, I just bing, 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 whittled away, bing, 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 whittled away at that. And that's what I tell everybody who's going to grad school now is like, bro, don't go in there not knowing what's going on and think that you're just going to come out knowing what's going on. Like you got to define an outcome for yourself. Like, right. No one else can do that for you, but if you can define the outcome for yourself and then that will give you the trajectory that we need to understand the bridge that we need to build, which will let us know the planks that we need to put down. And like, you cannot lose this way in my opinion, because like you're so direct about what's going on. Like people are always talking about, I hope and I wish I don't hope or wish any of this. (laughs) I'm just going to do the things that are necessary to do it, right? And hopefully that's enough. And if it's not, we're going to do the extra stuff that we need to do to like take it there. So that's what I think is just be clear. And you don't have to be right or wrong. Or this is another thing, like there's no right or wrong decisions. There's just things that are going to take us closer to our outcome or further from our outcome. Closer or further. Like it's not right or wrong. It's just, it's it's either a step in the direction towards where we're going or maybe we're backpedaling a little bit, right? Maybe we're like, or maybe we're going off to the side. And this 
decision has nothing to do with what, what we're actually trying to go to. So as a CEO, that's what I try to think about all the time is just like, okay, is this moving us forward? Or is this like a good, this is a good idea fairy that's like taking time and effort away from where we're actually trying to go. And it happens all the time. I mean, I have a CEO that's like, bro, we're not doing that. I'm like, okay. But it'd be a good idea though. He's like, yeah, it's a great idea. Next year, five years from now. <laughs> uh, good idea, Fairy. Love it. Um, and a great, great point, right? You want to do a good SWOT analysis, like strength, weaknesses, opportunities. What's the delta that you're trying to solve, the gap you're trying to close? And then to understanding that most progress is more like a sine wave than a straight line. 100%. And the other thing I would say too is that, um, yeah, like... I just think about it all like when I was a beginning soldier, the first time I shot a weapon, summer of 2007, I'm on the line, it's hot. I didn't even get enough time to put my earplugs in. I didn't really understand how much of a profound effect I was going to have. So I'm over here scrambling, running around, I'm sweating. And I pull up the rifle and I shoot my first shot. No earplugs. I was like, ah! Like, but I had to keep going, right? Because we're in the middle of it, you have 20 rounds. And so I'm sitting here like, bro, I don't even know if I can do this again. But I just remember that experience so much because by the time I got out of the military, right, I'm shooting 39s and 40s on a regular basis. But what I do is like shoot and like I like came to a place where all we do is do this, right? Like all we do is like shoot rifles and like do the military stuff. So in the seven, you know, 10, you know, nine to 10 year gap between this first experience shooting the rifle and this other experience shooting a rifle on a regular basis and doing very well at it, it really lets me know that like everything is made out of its building blocks. I was at building block zero as a little plebe shooting with no earplugs. And I may be at, you know, building block 8,000 by the time I'm a captain getting out of the military. I've just done this stuff so much. So the same thing is true for the entrepreneurial world. It's okay, man. Everybody starts at like a, a like at like a little plebe that doesn't know about the earplugs and the weapon, but like that's not a discouragement to like not do the thing it's just a, a an understanding that like hey you got a long way to go before you're like pretty good at this but you gotta do the stuff to become pretty good at it so you know you have to sit there and force yourself to continuously fill in those gaps and think about why you're missing the mark and how you can improve and i think that's the the thing that will give you the confidence that will keep you rolling in the entrepreneurial game or even in you know career game as well well said and then in terms of like books or podcasts or anything that you read to help you kind of figure out that landscape or navigate it, or was it really just kind of like on the job training and talking? I have to be honest and like say that I'm like, uh, I'm a lawyer, so I read a lot, but like, I'm not like a very good like podcast, like book reader type. So like, no, <laughs> I'm trying to think about, I mean, I read a lot in like law school and stuff, right? So I read a lot of book, a lot of textbooks and a lot of books about this kind of stuff, a lot of articles and whatnot. So I think that my advice there is, again, when you're making that list about all the stuff that you don't know, or like what's keeping you from doing this business now, or why can't you do whatever the things that you're doing, like you should take that list. And just like with grad school, if you're not going to grad school, you should, then the same is true for these books and these podcasts to enlighten you to the answers to these various questions. Right. So where you get the enlightenment, I think doesn't really matter. I just think that like 
like I'm always joking. I used to joke with my professors all the time that law school was just a really expensive study guide for the bar, right? Because they are there to give us information and stuff, but they're shepherding us through something that like ultimately probably could sit down and do on your own. But like, do you have the motivation and the discipline to read all these books and like execute this strategy, right? Like I can give you all my syllabus or syllabi and like the books, but are you going to sit down and do this every day? Probably not, right? Like, because it's just a lot of work. So the ecosystem of school is like kind of a forcing function for the discipline. But I don't think it's necessarily like a necessary function of the discipline. You can certainly sit down and get the information that I got. And there's enough YouTube and enough different things to like get you to the knowledge that you want. So I think there's any books or any podcast or any learning thing that's going to illuminate the answer to the questions that you wrote down on that list are a beautiful thing. Like, right. So I, you know, I use a bunch of stuff, um, but mainly I'm not going to lie to you, man. I'm just like a super, I don't know how to explain it, man. I'm like a passionate individual. I hate the word passion, but I just have a deep desire to like bring about my desired outcome. I care about that more than anything else, really. And so that really always just gives me the motivation to just not take no for an answer, man. Just like, just be humble and know that I don't know shit. And like, I don't know, sorry, I can't say that. But I don't know anything. I don't know everything I need to know to take me where I need to go. So I always try to just stay humble in the fact that that's true. And like, there's just more info. Right now, I'm in a place where we've done so much and we've done, we're doing so well, but like, I'm still looking up at a mountain that's like, bro, man, I don't even know about this side of things. Like, right. So I think that's the humility that I was saying earlier, where it's just like, man, you just got to have the discipline and just keep going because there's so many levels where you just don't know. I have no idea. I'm about to go to, go to market. I have all types of marketing stuff that like, I know, but probably someone's better and more equipped to <laughs> help us do this. And so I have to go find someone who's got that skill set. And I guess that's a point too, right? Not feeling like you have to do everything on your own. That's like one of those entrepreneur things that's not real. Like if you're in this situation where you're feeling like you have to do everything by yourself, it's because you're not having the humility to understand that like, look, just because you have the idea and you have the willingness to bring about this desired outcome doesn't mean that you alone are wholly equipped to bring that about. And that's what the, the list, the question list does. It proves you to yourself to know that like, man, I know where I'm trying to go, I think, but there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know. So like, okay, let's start, let's start going down the list of like uh, what I don't know and how to do it. I was just looking earlier, like about some entrepreneur coaching, right? Like, so what's your idea? But people don't think about like, what's your business model? They're talking about a business plan, but like, do you understand your business model? How are you making money? You're like, oh, I'm making money because I'm selling this. I'm like, no, that's not the business model. The business model is, are you an arbitrage business? Are you a service business? Are we building this business for acquisition? Like what, you know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Because those underground business model questions are ultimately going to be what allows you to, again, bring about your desired outcome. If you can define it. It makes it a little bit easier. So that's always will be my thing. Tell me what you're trying to do. And the other thing I would say is also to look at what do you like, what do you like doing? Or excuse me, what do you like being valued for? So the FSO and lawyer analogy I brought up is because I enjoy being an FSO. 
I enjoyed the fact that I had like a subject matter expertise that even though I was in this unit that like other people did not share with me. I can run with you guys. I can lift with you guys. I can jump with you guys. I can shoot with you guys. But you guys don't know how to drop these airstrikes. But I do. So I can do all the stuff that you do, but you can't do what I do. And I liked that, you know, just as like a positioning thing. So the lawyer, from my perspective, offered the same type of advantage and experience. Hey, you know a bunch about what you're doing. I know a bunch about what you're doing, but you don't know about what I know about what you're doing. And so like, I'm going to come help you do what you do. And, and I'm going to get paid for that. So for me, understanding that idea about myself and the, what, I, what I enjoyed being valued for allowed me to pick something where it's a lot of hard work, but like I like the feedback loop that's associated with my job. Yeah. And it's helpful. So that's how I think about that. Amazing points. I think the last piece, kind of talking about your transition, you mentioned a couple of different points. Is there anything to you that you would change about your transition or even keep the same? Yeah, I would have taken my whole VA situation much more seriously than when I was getting out. When I was getting out, I was one of those guys that was like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought the like socialist vibes, I guess, what, whatever. You, we all know. If you're a veteran listening to this, you know. Listen, forget all that. Forget all that. I had two hip surgeries, an ankle surgery, saw all types of crazy stuff while I was in war. Like, listen, we deserve every single, every single dollar that they're going to give to you, you deserve it. And I think that I was not in the right headspace when I was first getting out about it. And I was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I regret not taking that situation more seriously. I, I still got like a good disability rating and all that other stuff, but I definitely could have got 100% for my injuries and other things, but I wasn't like thinking about it that way. And that cost me ultimately a lot of money every month and every year into perpetuity. And I think that if I could, if I like did a model or a graph for someone of like the lifetime earnings and difference it is to get 60% versus 100%. And what that looks like over the course of 40 years, I'm just like, hey, man, like, you can't laugh at that. That's some serious stuff. That's some serious stuff. Right now, the difference between where I'm at at 80% and 100% is $2,000 a month. So I'm just saying, like, that's crazy. $2,000 a month tax-free, $24,000 a year. I mean, if you just invested your disability money into something every year, that isn't that that is an IRA. Like, what do you mean? That's amazing, right? Like that, that that's better than a match. Like, who's matching you that much? So I think that that's what I would change if I did anything, go back. I still ended up doing my discipline and everything, but I still think I didn't do it with the fervor and the understanding that I could have done it uh, to do that. And so we're trying to, you know, do some of that now too. Second thing is I probably would have saved more money in my last year, in my last 18 months, actually, is what I would say. When you know that you're about to be out of here, you need to like change your financial structure. Like you need to like start thinking about it. And like, if you got credit cards, get rid of them, right? Go to the field for six months. Like, you know, there's so many options in the military. Like go to the field for six months, stack that dough, pay off your stuff, then get out. What you don't want to be is like, you don't want to get out here and have a lot of like debt and other stuff. From when you're in the army, you can, but if you cannot, it's better than not, right? Because that money is... It's not free money. It's just different kind of money. It's a different kind of money than the outside, 
right? You make really good money in the military because you have so many tax shelters. And I don't think I really understood that until I was in it, right? I basically make the same take home now at a big city, a big New York City law firm as I did seven years ago when I was an admissions officer for West Point because of the AH and the tax shelter here, tax shelter there, blah, blah, blah. But it's the same take home is all I got to say about it. So I just want you to all think about that at home. I made the same amount of money as I did as a captain in New York City in my take home because of all the tax benefits. So when you're thinking about, you know, getting out, you, you can make more money in the real world because you have more opportunity to make like more money. But the money that you're making in the military is pretty good. And so I would really kind of, if I could do it all over again, I would have done better financial wisdom with myself um, at that point. And so I got some books for that though. Right. So like rich dad, poor dad type of stuff. Thinking grow rich, Napoleon Hill. Like, I don't know. I'll just send on a list. I've got plenty of like financial books, but I think that that I would have been more financially mature. I studied all this stuff, but I, it, it wasn't real to me until I think I had to go out here and fend for the cash on my own. And then I was like, oh man, I used to get paid a lot. Like, wow, that's amazing. Like I really was surprised when I got into the real world of our, like the civilian world of like, how much more of those dollars really go uh, than what we what we think. And so those would be the two things. The VA stuff, take care of that. And then I would start to look at your financial habits in the military. Uh, and then also, yeah, think hard about how you like to be valued. Like some people like don't like people. So like don't run off to a job where you have to go deal with a bunch of people. You don't like dealing with people, like you're finally free to make a decision for yourself. If you hated me, like for me, I'm gonna be honest with you. At a certain level, I, I didn't like being a leader at that level, right? I didn't like it. I'll say that on, on, I'll say that in public. That's okay. As a CEO now, I'm like, hey, there's going to come a point in time when we get enough people where I'm like, hey, that's not for me. <laughs> that's not for me, right? I'm the idea guy. I can sit on the chair of the board. I can continue to do my job, fundraise and all that, but I'm not really necessarily interested in, in, in leading a large organization. That's not what I want to do. So, but I know that about us. So that's okay. So that's into the plan. It's all in the plan. But if you can have that understanding of yourself and what you want, I think that it can save everybody a lot of heartache of doing a bunch of stuff that you think that you're supposed to be doing. You don't have to do that. Like, I don't want to run a 60 person organization. As soon as we get to like 30 people, I'm out. Right. I'll find, or I'll find, let me say this better. I will find something else for me to do in the company that best suits my skill set. And I, like I own the company, so like it's my company, right? So at a certain level, it's just like, hey, I would rather pay someone else X Y Z amount of money to be worried about this, and I'll forgo that money, but I can go and do something else, right? But like I'm not going to force myself to do something I don't like because like that's not what life's about. Sometimes you got to do hard stuff, but you should only do hard stuff on the way to doing something that you want, in my opinion. That makes sense. Know your gifts. Right? Know what gives you energy and what takes away. You know, if sitting behind an Excel in a PowerPoint is going to kill you, then like, probably should do that ish. Or just yeah, something. like, and don't be afraid to go do some like. I, I know this is not only like West Pointers, but a lot of West Pointers don't don't be afraid to go do something that's like away from the herd, man. It's all good. Like, go do something that like you like to do. Like, you already did the herd thing for like mad years. It's all good, man. You like that's why I'm saying the year off really helped. Cause I was like, I don't really want to do that. 
<laughs> and I don't really care what anybody else says about it. And like, uh, it's fine. I don't want to go be a project manager at wherever. I don't want to go work for Google. Like, I just want to clean these apartments and hang out. And so that's what I did. So hopefully that's been some good advice. Yeah, I think uh, the last point, you know, if people want to connect or learn more about your story, you know, where can they connect with you to learn more about Warbevco or your legal journey? Yeah. Nice. Well, you can always follow me on Instagram, of course, Devin T. Adams, at Devin T. Adams. Um, we've got our Mezcal brands coming out, Malamia Mezcal. Again, same thing, malamiamezcal.com, M-A-L-A-M-I-A, mezcal.com, uh, and also on uh, Instagram. Uh, we're still doing all the Warbevco stuff together. All this stuff costs a lot of money, guys. So, uh, yeah, so I think those are the, the two places you can come find me, DM me, email me, whatever you need. Always happy to talk to folks and give me any advice I can give or answer any questions that I can as well. Yeah, you also mentioned that you're an investor in a brewery. Uh, would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, that's right. Uh, also, Elsewhere Brewing, Atlanta, Georgia. Please come check us out. We have a uh, second uh, location opening up in the next uh, month or so in West Midtown. So elsewhere met West Midtown is one uh, Instagram. The other one is elsewhere brewing. We'll put it in the, the caption and whatnot. So yeah, you know, please go check out, have a beer. It's great. Good stuff. Great food, good beer. And uh, yeah, and we're also fundraising. So if anybody wants to invest in the company, let me know. I'll be here. <laughs> awesome. Well, always, Devin T., we appreciate it. Uh, you know, see another Sky Soldier out there killing it. Uh, classmate, you know, it's uh, it's good to see you. Warms my heart. I appreciate you, man. Good to see you as well. <laughs>